This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Over half the duration of his post-match press conference wasn't talking about Palace at all. Somebody had asked him about Bobby Charlton and yeah. then he just went on for a good four minutes out of a six-minute press conference um, to talk about his love of Bobby Charlton. So, <laughs> excellent, excellent reflection. And obviously, um, rest in peace to Bobby, etc., etc. et cetera. Et cetera. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I mean, it obviously touched him quite deeply. Um, mm. But it also, I think he jumped on that question like I've never seen him jump on a question before. You can't blame him, can you? It's like, oh, thank you, thank you so much. I don't want to, don't really want to talk about the fact that we just put on the biggest shit show we've put on in such a long while. So thank you for talking about Bobby Charlton dying. That is, yeah, that is. I, so so interestingly, let's think about this. I think it, Bobby Charlton was born in thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just see what year Roy was born in. Um, and then we can sort of compare him to how I see certain players that are a little bit older than me. Um, so Roy Hodgson was born in 47, so he was 10 years older. So let's put it in perspective. Um, how much older is John Barnes than myself? Right. So John Barnes, John Barnes is 20 years older than me. So, yeah, you need um, something a bit, bit more recent, so 10 years older. But then you need- how about wait? Then you need to clear up with how many minutes of a press conference would you spend talking <laughs> about that player? Oh, right, fair enough. Uh, Darren Anderson. Darren Anderson's eleven years older than me. Oh, you're uh, so I don't close. know why Darren Anderson. It's not. It's not like it, I, I have a particular love for Darren Anderson. It just suddenly I came to me when I was thinking feel, of eighties football. I feel like you do. What about Jamie Redknapp. Uh, Jamie Redknapp. Let's have a look. So, uh, obviously, Sketcher's extraordinaire. He's ten years older than me. So, um, so there you go. Away. So Jamie Redknapp to me is the equivalent of what Bobby Charlton, um, who for all <laughs> intents and purposes, um, sort of died of old age, is to um, yeah. is to Roy. Um, so it's it's a weird one because that's not how any of us would possibly think of him. Um, it's yeah, just ten years difference. That's it. So there we go. No. Um, I'm, I'm just trying to find out what else happened in 1937, and so far there's a list of 
different things that happened in the Spanish Civil War. Uh, yeah, I'll come back to anything. Yeah, I, th- I, I think the, the yeah. Japanese were destroying China at the time as well. Um, uh, Alan Shearer is 10 years older than me. Um, okay. So that's probably my equivalent. And um, I think I could probably do uh, 20 to 40 seconds in a press conference. Uh, because well, as a character, he wasn't the most fascinating, was he? Uh, in his playing days, his celebration was the the single point in the air, wasn't it? As he ran, and he did that after every. He scored a lot of goals after every goal, hand in the air, little little finger up. That was as excited as Alan Shearer got in his career. Yeah, yeah. For for a man that scored whatever it is, two hundred and sixty mm. Premier League goals, there isn't a, a lot to say about him. Um, uh, just, just Damien Delaney is 10 years older than me and I think I would probably just sob in a press conference for <laughs> the whole thing if he died there you go so let's, let's just look how old Dougie Friedman is as well shall we? okay um, Dougie Friedman born in 74 so uh, well look let's, let's uh, football was born in uh, 1970. Frank de Boer is 10 years older than, than me. Okay. Can, you, can you guess what happened on the 1st of January, 1937? Um, um, was Roy Hodgson appointed manager of Crystal Palace Football Club? <laughs> no, it's not no. football related. Oh. Uh, no, I, I, I'm going to need some help. Okay, Nick, are you ready? Nick would know. Safety glass in vehicle windscreens become mandatory in the United Kingdom. Okay. Well, um, as a as opposed to not safe glass. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I I'm supposed to answer. Right, okay. um, you could have given you could have given me a thousand years to guess that, and I would not have guessed that. Yeah, um, I suppose this feels like it shouldn't be the top thing on Wikipedia, but it is done chronologically. So I guess if it happened on the first January, they kind of kind of has to come top. So so yeah. safety pint glasses break into tiny little pieces that are sort of hexagonal when you break them whereas normal ones just can cause you you know obviously just break and just can cut you really easy so i guess it's the same as that right is that, is that, is that true okay. yeah yeah so if you a, a safety point glass it breaks into sort of mm. li- little hexagonal pieces are um, the only other the thing, safest shape I, I, there's an important question are hexagons the safest shape i, I, I feel like somebody's going to reply and say they're actually octagonal or something like that but um, the other interesting thing about 1937 is um, Man City won the 36-37 um, Division One league, and then 37-38 season they were relegated by <laughs> immediately afterwards. So, that's, wow. so that is the football landscape that uh, Bobby Charlton was was born was brought up in. I found a, I found a Croydon one. If you want a Croydon one, yes, please. What what happened in Croydon in 1937? You mean? Yeah. Okay. So between October and December, Croydon typhoid outbreak of 1937 
It's actually awful. 341 cases of typhoid fever, 43 fatal from a polluted well. Should, what a year. Should we, yeah. on, on that note, should we talk about Newcastle beating us for now? This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Alexa, play Back of the Nest podcast. Playing Back of the Nest. CPFC podcast from Amazon Music. Back of the Nest, now on your Alexa device and Amazon Music. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. I'm Chris Hamling and I'm your host as we look back at the game that saw Palace travel to Newcastle and get outplayed from minute one. I told you I'd get it wrong. I don't want to be recording this pod and I'm surprised as to why you are listening to it. There you go. What else do you need to say? Can we log off now? Yep. No, come on, we've got to talk a little bit more about footballers born in 1970. Thinking about it, if Frank de Boer was born in 1970, then so was Ronald de Boer, because they're twins, right? Non-identical Yeah, twins? unless he was born like sort of 1201 on the 1st of, the 1st of January. Oh, God, now I've got to do that research. Oh. Anyway, we'll, we'll do that. It's afterwards. unlikely, it's unlikely. It's unlikely. Um, hopefully, some of the pre-show chat will be included, or that won't make any sense as an opening discussion. I mean, it's not for us to worry about, is it? We're not going to listen back. So um, good luck to you, everybody listening. Or, or Frank de Boer was born right at the very end of December 31st. And then Ronald de Boer was actually born in 1971. That's possible, isn't it? That is possible. That is possible. I'm going to leave the mystery as well. I don't want to know. Not anything yeah. is possible. I'm not going to, I don't know, poop diamonds, am I? That's not possible. If you well, it depends. Like, if you believe in, I don't know if anybody. I feel like the crossover of people that listen to this pod and watch Married at First Sight is probably quite small. Mm-hmm. Um, but if anybody does, then they will know the uh, crazy manifesting people that are on that series, and they would genuinely believe that if you manifest it and put it out into the universe, anything can happen. So, mm-hmm. if you want to put that out into the universe, Amber, then maybe. Well, I have. It's out there. Maybe you can it's, it's out there now, isn't it? <laughs> no, because you said you can't. Oh, so you can't. So I need to say, right, right. Oh, okay. I've yeah, I've heard of this stuff. Those people who write things on whiteboards, right? He's put out into the universe that it can't happen. So, so then it can't. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but if he but if he wants it to happen, then he needs to say, "One, I am going to." Well, this program sounds fucking shit. Can I? Can yeah, I was gonna say you're you watch Married at First Sight. Are you having emotional problems? Um, is that oh, having yeah, so that's an ongoing thing, but no, it's a very good, very, very good program. Oh. It's not, it's absolute crash, it's my guilty pleasure, yeah. but um, yeah, it was a particularly it was, challenging couple. There was a similar show, um, called Love at First Sight. Did you watch that? I think it was on Netflix or something. And they had, um, love sorry, it. no, love, no, no. Love is Blind. Love is Blind, sorry. Love yes. is Blind, yeah, where yeah. they're doing the pods. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so good. So, but yeah. did, they ruined yes. it. They ruined it, right? Because as it, when it started, the, the pretense being that they had to bond without seeing each other through these walls, right? And like, you kind of got invested in some of the people. And then after a little while, you realize that they are all douchebags. Then you got even more invested in it because it was hilarious. And then, then they suddenly yeah. went super scripted like and all these events that were happening were just like okay all well, the people we've just been introduced to wouldn't do that so 
like you've yeah. just taken me completely out of the moment of first of all thinking I'm quite invested in these people, then realizing they are the worst people in humanity and I cannot stop watching. And then they ruined it, so I've never watched it since. Um anyway, um do check it yeah. out. I only watched the yeah well they did the first thing then they sort of came back with another couple of episodes like an extended bit and that's the bit where it's just these events that they just contrived sorry mike you seem bored are you all right (laughs) uh miles away absolutely miles away (laughs) so anyway palace right um yeah let's talk about this fucking game let's get it yeah yeah okay well look we lost we lost four nil it was uh, it was one of the worst performances of this season, but there were, I'm going to say it up front, there were some positive points. Not many. There wasn't a huge amount to get excited about, but there was that little flicker, that glimmer of light that came from the introduction of some substitutes. Um, even Roy was so exasperated that he just thought, I'm going to throw caution to the wind and give some players some minutes. And we saw something come of that. So, you know, that's that's going to be something nice to talk about at some point during this what is likely to be a very short show. However, um, we will have to talk about a small amount of the the negative stuff first. Um, but before we do that, um, Mike, you wanted to obviously we, just to you know do our news for the week. There weren't any um, under 18s or under 21s games, but as you quite rightly pointed out in the show document, the Palace under 21s do play Monaco under 21s this Tuesday. Um, so. Uh, but unfortunately, the women did play today and lost to, not unfortunately, they played, unfortunately, they lost to uh, some team called Charlton, I think. Something to do with the Charlton. Yeah, indeed. So if we take it back, because obviously they had the international break, um, but the um, the championship didn't for them. So um, an incredible, a 6-1 cane in the London City Lionesses, and that was, that was at home. So Annabelle Blanchard's, with a hat trick, and then the the new the summer signing Sinead Hopcroft getting a brace as well. Um, so incredible stuff, um, and then totally brought back to earth um, today on the day of recording with a, with a, a three two away defeat to um, those those Kent based red jerseyed people. Um, so they were trading one nil, they were trading two one, they pulled it back twice, but when Charlton. Went three two up with like a quarter of an hour left. That was too much. Um, so in the league, they they've got a game in hand over most of the rest of the league, um, sitting in fourth, and Charlton have leapfrogged them. Although Charlton do have um, have played a game more, so it's possible that we can go up to seven. I think it's seventeen points, so it could be second with the extra game. So still going exceptionally well, but some really really weird results this season. Um, I mean, Carlos, you want to jump in and comment? Well, no, I think you've said everything. Um, I think the the kind of bit that doesn't worry me too much about it is because of how many goals we have been scoring um, and we still scored a couple in this game. I think it's just one of those inevitable kind of blips in a in a good run. But we'll, we'll know if that's true in the following games. But they do, like, uh, the kind of fall-off of uh, London City Lionesses is quite dramatic and Durham as well, who usually are challengers, but have slipped down the table. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. I think we're seeing a kind of where the teams that have invested um, heavily in their um, squads and in their setups in the last couple of seasons are really starting to come come through. Um, but it's good to see the league as a whole just having that 
a really competitive edge, which I think a couple of seasons ago it probably didn't quite have. You would have had one or two teams at the top that were streaks ahead of everybody else. But um, just going through to Sunderland top now with 18, as you rightly say, Mike, it's us and Sheffield United who have got the games in hand, um, obviously because of the play that they lost as so that game was postponed. Um, but Sunderland top on 18 points, then Southampton and Charlton both on 15, us on 14, Blackburn below us on 12. So it's really tight and you're just not seeing that kind of one team that's come down from the WSL um, marching ahead. So, uh, yeah, excited to see how the the next couple of months go. I think hopefully we can get back to winning ways and and streak ahead a bit. And the great thing is that the players that are scoring the majority of the goals are not the new signings. So it's obvious that the team has had an injection of quality and it's it's helping progress the, the players that maybe struggled a little bit last season. I know we've already talked about Molly. Um yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. Makes up for, well, today doesn't, but at the moment makes up for what we're about to talk about now, I guess. Yeah. Um, and look, it was really, really hard to talk about this. Um, p- partly because we didn't really write a show document. That does make it slightly more difficult than um, than usual. But to How be dare f- you, sir? I wrote, Sorry. I wrote a whole sentence. You wrote, God, it was shit. <laughs> that's what you wrote and, and it was hard to really expand on that as a concept so we've just left that as the general the general concept of <laughs> what happened um i'm gonna st- can i start also, with my favorite weird, god as well say again sorry weird, weird that mike started calling you god as well it, well it's but it's not before time is it let's face it um you know we have been waiting for that um, that level of respect and um, yeah, yeah, 12 years I've been doing this. It's about, about damn time. <laughs> right. Um, uh, so I'm going to start with my favorite BBC facts about the game. Um, so no team has won, some context for us. Okay. No team has won more home games than Newcastle brackets four in the Premier League this season. While it's the first time since 2007, 2008, that the Magpies have won as many as four of their first five home games at the top flight campaign. So they're doing well. It's not just in this game. Um, Newcastle have scored 24 goals in nine Premier League games this season. They're most at this stage of a top flight campaign since 1994-95. Brackets 26 goals. Okay, you enjoying these facts so far? They're a bit Newcastle heavy, I'm going to be honest with you, to the point where I'm going to leave the Palace one till last. Callum Wilson scored his 43rd Premier League goal for Newcastle, equaling the tallies of Andrew Cole and Shola Amiobi, former Palace superstar. Only Alan Shearer, brackets 148, and Peter Beardsley, brackets 46, have now scored more goals for the Magpies in the competition than Wilson. This is really good, isn't it? Um, It was the fifth time that Newcastle have led by three three or more goals at half-time in a Premier League game under Eddie Howe. Today was his 74th league match. That was in brackets and completely irrelevant. Um, only under Kevin Keegan had they done so many times in the competition, five times in 1-6-2. Thanks for those facts, BBC. The Palace fact was New Crystal Palace are winless in their five Premier League games against Newcastle, drawn three, lost two, and are now on their joint longest run without a goal against them in the competition, four games. So the omens weren't good for us pre-game, and they're certainly reflected in the post-game key stats from the game in the the only fact mentioning us at all is that basically one should suggesting that we're awful against Newcastle, that they're, they've, they're a good team. There's, um, it's unfortunate because of how their, uh, how their fortunes have changed, shall we say? Um, in my view, I think it's a very, very troubling 
set of circumstances and uh, fair play for people pointing that out regularly but they have got what they've got they're you know they've got they've got good backing and they haven't spent huge sums of money buying superstars they've bought really good players and you know you could see it in their bench yesterday when they when they were making the subs when the game was dead they're still bringing on some real quality there but i gotta say pre-game i looked at the their central midfield and i just felt like we had the strength and the aggression to actually do something against that but the game wasn't really won and lost in the midfield and that's kind of probably where we'll start because we got you know we got a lot of players come back from injury you know we we really worried about the squad before the break um but the back four was back to normal um you know back five including the keeper of course um so that that should have given us confidence um, the midfield was bolstered by Dakure and Lerma returning as a partnership. They've been fantastic. And I think you, if you stop there and look at the rest of the team, that's really where, you know, you had concerns pregame. But I have to say, I don't necessarily think it panned out like that. I think it panned out that the players that we felt we could rely on in this game had, had an absolute stinker in general. Um, and and we had nothing really in terms of a cohesive attacking unit up top, and that's that's how you get really really badly beaten in the game. That's my immediate summary. It's uh, it's worth just pointing out that um, when I was at school, our head teacher, if if the score was really bad when he was reading them out in assembly, he kind of had a list and he'd just go, and the uh, the football team were heavily beaten. <laughs> And that's exactly how it felt. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so the, the the return the return from injuries. Um, obviously, I've talked before about I think Lerma is fairly instrumental to stuff going right so far this season. Um, Lerma and Decore, when there's only Hughes as well in midfield, seems like a very different setup to Lerma and Decore when they've got a player on either side of them, and. I can't count. Yeah, to me, that was a a four three three rather than a four four two, and I feel like that was the starting point that I wanted to discuss here. Um, so it wasn't so much the personnel coming back; it was then they were playing something that didn't really suit the setup. I don't know. Don't know what you think about that. I think fundamentally. Oh. Sorry, Carl. You go right ahead. I've already spoken. No, that's okay. We just both paused seeing who was going to come in yeah. first and then uh, both managed to come in together. But um, <clears throat> I think my quite quick observation on that in terms of in during the game was that without that attacking threat going forward, i.e. without having Elisa and Ezra there kind of propelling that, all that happened was a few bad performances in defence meant that those our midfield was just getting sucked back into trying to bolster the defence in a panic and we just completely had no midfield like there was just an absolute collapse so like I would agree with you Mike it started off like yeah 4-3-3 but then I think it ended up kind of like 7-3 formation (laughs) quite quickly because there was just nothing happening and then take like taking that then to what was happening at the front that um Eduardo Mateta kind of uh relationship that has been uh picking up in recent weeks just collapsed when they don't have uh 
anything because they just can't create anything by themselves. So they just kind of looked lost um, sitting up there on their on their own while we had seven players at the back trying to stop stuff that they couldn't then stop. And it was all very sad. Anyway, Hambo, you speak because I'm going to cry. <laughs> I just to, for me, we we just made some quite obvious fundamental errors in approaching this game and and i was desperately searching for the quote pre-show and i can't find it because there was a reference in in something that roy was talking about where he mentioned that you know effectively we we don't change too much week to week there's little tweaks for the opposition but we try to play pretty much the same way every game and sometimes that really works in our favor and, and other times it, it really doesn't. We needed to fundamentally change a lot more about what we do um, to play Newcastle. When, when you look at Newcastle's team uh, on paper, it's a decent team, right? It is. But, you know, Howe's got them playing very, very well at the moment. But when you think, if you if you look at, so like, if you look at the gra- a graphic lined up of both teams set in a 4-3-3 formation, you know, the... Longstaff, Grimaris, and Joe Linton as a midfield three. You know, in my head, I, I immediately think, well, you can play around them. You know, there's there's a bit of... Longstaff's a good box-to-box midfielder, been playing really well this season. Joe Linton's a converted forward. Again, they've got good for, form out of him, and but but and he, and he was working pretty hard. But, you know, he's not, you know, an absolutely outstanding central midfielder. It's only really Bruno Grimaris who's the outstanding player. And... With what we had in midfield, with, with Lerma, Decure and Hughes in midfield, get in and around him, pressure him on the ball, and, and I think like we got an opportunity. Lascelles and Shah as a centre-back partnership, they're not outstanding, they're decent. But the full-backs, Bernan and Trippier, are excellent players. So you think about, you know, for me, as a, as a, somebody who watches football, I'm not a coach, I've, I've you know, played a little bit in my youth, but I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know a tremendous amount, but I am very much obsessed with the game so my logic says okay i'm gonna have to be worried about their fullbacks because attacking wise we haven't got our best players at the moment so we're not really going to be keeping them too busy so when i see us start the game with edward on the left it's a huge mistake first of all he's not great out there he can fill in he can do a job but it's not it's not a great position for him very obvious, very straight away, straight away in the game that Trippier was like, oh, wow, wow, I've got such a great day today. Not only do I not have to worry about defending, but I don't have to worry about being marked either because Mitchell can't deal with, with two players on his own. Um, and he was targeted. And you think, you know, we aren't great down the other side because you can, you know, a lot of teams target Ward, but targeting Mitchell, knowing that Ayu, who can do the defensive work, is on the other side of the pitch. It was... Straight away, it's what caused us to concede the first goal. We can remember it. Mike, you've said it's etched into your brain. Do you want to talk us through the first goal? We're not going to go through every goal because we don't want to and we refuse to watch them back. But the first one, I think, is four minutes in, etched into our brains, right? Yeah, and I will say at that point, I probably had the sinking feeling that, to be honest, I, I just didn't think we were coming back. It's worth pointing out before we talk about that. Um, according to who scored 49% of their attacking play was down the right-hand side. So I think that that pretty much exactly covers what you were just saying. Um, and then the fact that Edward got booked not that far into the game um, 
and uh, Trippier was unlucky to get booked as well, kind of showed that he was getting frustrated. Um, but yeah, you know, just a, a break forward um, from what I can remember, uh, a, li- a, a fairly simple one-two just outside the box and then just, um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the finish was both incredible and fluky and um, yeah. Hodgson said after the game, um, you know, that's the, probably the one bit of the game that I can't really... I can't really fault. He's like, if I'd have scored that, if we'd have scored that, I'd have been very happy. Um, but the moment that went in, I thought, that's it. That's <laughs> This is going to be a long afternoon. Can't really blame yeah. Sam Johnson. I, I think his positioning was pretty good. Um, from what I remember, and as you say, I've refused to watch this stuff again. I think Mitchell was caught out for a couple of goals and, and this was one of them. Um, but it was, it was also a great piece of Newcastle play. You can't take that away from him. Yeah, really well worked goal, but you know, and it's not for me. It's not conceding the goal that I'm most annoyed about. It's it's a it's a good goal from Newcastle. It's a hard one to to take, um, and you know, despite some people having misgivings about whether the finish was is, was intended to be that kind of lobbed finished over the into over the keeper, the key component of it was a switch, a play, a diagonal ball, if you like, out to Trippier. Trippier completely unmarked because, you know, we play narrow anyway. So, you know, the tactic straight away, obviously, was, you know, Murphy and Longstaff both both kind of pushing down that side. So central midfield can't go out and cover because they've got to watch Longstaff. Um, you know, Mitchell is defending narrow already and he's got to follow Murphy. So Trippier is just hugging that line, right? easy he's going to be there all day because edward is just jogging around back there because he's not he's not going to chase back he's just not going to do it he's going to make, he's going to give the the kind of half-hearted sort of jog after him a little bit but trippy is not even looking at him he doesn't even care where edward is because he knows he's going to be nowhere near him so you get to that point where mitchell's got to make a decision to go out or you know i'm not talking about for the goal i'm talking about in general throughout the course of the game he's got to make a decision whether to go out or stay narrow like the shape's supposed to be majority of that first half you know we conceded two very late in the half injury time in the half so you know roy kind of lamented going in not going in one nil down how about one one or one nil up but anyway he lamented um, the the fact that we conceded those two late goals, but the truth is, prior to that, between goal number one and the other two, right at the end of the half, our genuine tactic was to sort of invite Newcastle to keep doing that, in the hope that we would intercept the ball that came into the box, we would clear it, we'd hook it off the line, they'd hit the post, hit the crossbar, Johnston to save us. We just that that was our approach to the game, and that's why we never got a foothold. Sorry, Carl, I'll let you come in in a sec, but just wanted to finish with the thing that really surprised me. Hughes, nominally there to help in what you were just talking about, probably to cover when Edward's not doing much. I don't think he actually played down the left-hand side at all during the game. And on the, you know, checking the heat map, he, he barely did. So... Literally, we were playing either so narrow that he basically was on the halfway line in the centre circle or something went drastically wrong. And that's what Hodgson alluded to in the post-match. He, he, he said, 
nothing of what was planned actually happened. Um, a lot was done that was totally not not scripted. Um, there was no there was no cover for Mitchell whatsoever. No. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Sorry, Carl. No, no, not at all. I think it's just like what I said um, before. It was just that completely colla- complete collapse of the midfield, and like at no point could you see that there was any kind of cohesive plan as to what they were trying to do, um, how they were trying to fix things. It it just seemed like absolute panic stations. Although I do feel slight responsibility because about a minute before their second goal went in, I said, Jesus, like Newcastle are going to be uh, pissed off. They're going into half-time only one nil up. <laughs> well, yeah, then that happened. So yeah. sorry about that, everyone. Um, but it's just frustrating. I, I think it all ties into what Hambo said at the start, of just like playing the set, not being able to change not being able to adapt the way that we play. And so when we lose two very key players, you've got a lot of other players who are not used to being told to do something different. So maybe from like, if you patch together like Roy's comments there and then what happened on the pitch, maybe they did try and change it. Maybe they did say like, oh, we've got to play differently here because of like what's going on. And the players just didn't know how to actually then go and do it. But also we've got players who just aren't, aren't good enough, but just aren't kind of like... Uh, versatile enough to be able to go on and do a job in the games where they're not going to be able to play the way that ideally suits them to play. I think Hughes had like a relatively bad game. I actually didn't think Lerma was too bad, like considering that he'd just come back from injury, he was putting in some pretty tough tackles and stuff and just like giving us a, a chance to get possession back. But then when we had it, like there was there was nowhere to go with it. And Newcastle were pressing so high because we just had that complete lack of um any kind of uh, kind of plan in in midfield that it just felt like we were being choked the whole time. You know, it was I don't know, just yeah, painful. Well, I think I mean, look, Newcastle did a really good job of of pressuring in the right areas. You know, you start to look down the passing percentages in our team, and you know, other than sort of like Gay is the only one who's over ninety percent you know, which is quite rare for us, you know, and in terms of touches of the ball, usually Anderson and Gay get loads in our, in our games, but even though, you know, they, they didn't in this one, that they were kind of pretty well, um, you know, average with, with, with the rest of the team, really. Um, you know, Mitchell saw most of the ball because we were, they, we were getting attacked down that side considerably. You know, you think about how, the forward players played when you look at Mateta on for an hour with only 23 touches, um, you know, and I, I think the, the the telling thing for me was Will Hughes's pass 
percentage was at 75%, which is really poor for a, for a central midfielder in the Premier League, giving the ball away that much. You expect that from players in attacking positions. Um, you know, the players who are trying to make that key pass, trying to make that, you know, or put crosses in the box or something like that. But for Hughes, it should be keeping possession, ticking over. You know, it should be a lot better than that. And for me, I think the biggest problem goes back to the, the theme of trying to play the same way. When we started the game, and I really focus heavily uh, on how we line up at the very, very start of the game, because that's the closest thing you're going to get to a clue as to what we were trying to do. Hughes straight away went into the spot where Eze plays. And that's wrong, you know. Hughes has even said in the past that that's the role he used to play, but then he got a really bad injury, so he had to convert himself into a defensive midfielder. So putting him in that position and ask him to play that, he doesn't have the mobility. He doesn't have the uh, the kind of presence of mind to play that role anymore. It's you know, it's his turning circle is just not sharp enough. So if you're expecting him to do the job of Eze, who can just you know change pace and direction in the blink of an eye. You're you're going to lose out if we're trying to use Will Hughes as your focal point, and I say that as a fan of Will Hughes, I I like him a lot. So I think that that in itself is an error. But I still go back to the biggest error and the biggest problem I have with the whole game is the complete inaction. Okay, and we've seen this before in in Palace teams. We've seen it before in in teams that Roy Hodgson has managed. In the past, um, we don't, we kind of seem to be like, okay, well, there's a problem. That problem shouldn't be occurring. Therefore, we won't act to do anything about it. So the, for me, the big problem was it became really apparent really quickly that Edward was not going to give any protection to Mitchell and Newcastle were targeting Mitchell's side and we couldn't do anything about it. There was just an overload and the players didn't know who to mark. So the change straight up, Straight up, don't doesn't matter what Ed, Edward's completely ineffective on the left anyway. Make him go and be ineffective out on the right if you don't want to make a sub after ten minutes. But you know, which is understandable. But go and stick him out on the right and put Ayu on the left and get Ayu down that down that side. Give Mitchell some protection. Do something. Change something. Help help the the team. But we didn't. We just let it happen and we just watched it. And then we made the change at half time. Ayu came over that side in the second half. And do you? We can't really tell whether it was it made a difference because at that point Newcastle are in coasting mode and and anything any change that's made any change of attitude any you know improvement in our performance becomes irrelevant because Newcastle can play in second gear and they still scored another goal and could have had more and that's the really really sad part of this whole game. Um, but yeah, look, it was two it was two late goals in the first half. Um, and, and you know, Gordon had had a couple of opportunities at the, at the back post prior to, and one we really should have scored when he hit the post, but he just kept plugging away, and we just again, Wardy defending narrow, keeps not not standing on him, overload on the side. It's an obvious tactic against Palace, overload the fullbacks, especially when we're we're not playing with people who are going to get back and help. So. Uh, eventually Gordon gets his goal and then Longstaff, it's a sickener to, for him to score so quickly afterwards as well. Um, uh, error by Mark Gay, which sums everything up, doesn't it? He's been absolutely faultless, faultless in a Palace shirt and just lazily giving the ball away and then 
nobody really picking up after that. It's 3 0 and the game's dead. So Hodgson picked up in the post match about individual errors. Um, and obviously, they've had three clean sheets up until this game. Um, said that he didn't think there was, he said there was a very low amount of inju- individual errors this season. I was trying to think whether I, th- I agreed or not. Um, but he definitely was making the suggestion that there was a hell of a lot in this game. So my question would be, why? I mean, obviously, the weather was horrific, but I don't remember seeing Newcastle do the same. Um, so I'm not quite sure why that was. Um, Hodgson, you know, he didn't he didn't make any particular examples. And it, I don't think at any point in either of his interviews post-match did he refer to an individual player either to give praise or to condemn, which was quite interesting. Um, but he definitely alluded to individual errors in this game. So whether he was talking about them not listening to his tactics, which I think was the underlying suggestion, um, or that, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's something we haven't spoken about in a while because we haven't had to. <clears throat> but I think in a game like this, you really uh, highlight the lack of leadership that we have on the pitch. Because I think when stuff starts going wrong, that's when you look to those players to kind of pick everybody up. You know, like whether it's people not um, being in the right position or whether it is individual errors, but whatever, you just look for those voices on the pitch that can kind of sort that out without having to wait to half time to get your coach, your manager and your coaching staff to do it, to then be sent out again. Um, And I think it is something that we were really missing at parts of last season. But again, we haven't really been this bad yet this season for it to be a real standout and that for me was the standout and it's like you say Mike when the first goal goes in you just go like all right this is going to be the afternoon because we know there's nobody on the pitch that is going to play that role of being like right we started off bad but actually let's pick this up let's kind of correct the things that are going wrong Um, and we've got a long time to to kind of make this uh like turn this around um and we just didn't see that like everybody just really struggled and everybody then was making those individual errors and there was nobody then kind of piecing it together giving anybody a break so they could recover from whatever error it was just kind of snowball effect um I'm sure there were lots of other things going on as well but that for me was the thing that kind of stood out in this game in a way it hasn't just hasn't for a while yeah I, I think that's totally fair it's a similar point I was about to make myself so I, I won't repeat it so that's um yeah I, I you know, it's look, there's a there's a lot to be concerned about. I think, uh, to be fair, we we don't often do this. We you know we can we're capable of losing games and putting on poor performances, but you know being soundly thumped doesn't happen too often. And and it's important as as you say, Cara, to recognise that you know you can't just sit here and blame the manager and coaching staff. You know the players themselves have have to carry so much of the responsibility for that performance because. You know, yes, we got it wrong, and we didn't we didn't get the shape right against Newcastle. We didn't give any kind of a um, you know deference to the fact that of, of how they really play. To be quite blunt, um, even though the, you know Roy is suggesting that they they did a lot of work, and you know the players seem to have ignored it, but to not manage the game themselves, to not be talking to each other and trying to work out, you know, we're getting torn apart down that side. How do we help out Tyreek without? losing our shape how do we stop Kieran Trippier how you know those kinds of things those decisions need to be made on pitch by your leaders don't they so um so look we can't we could we can talk about lots of different other issues 
Um, we can talk about what we do next. Uh, we could talk about the transfer window again and why we didn't have enough options on the bench and all that kind of stuff. But those are things we can come back to other times as well. So let's try, just before we we start to, to draw things to a conclusion, let's talk a little bit about some positives, some bright sparks, some little moments that give us perhaps some hope. So I'm going to say they it came from the three changes that we made and um the first substitution was was after an hour and, and Mateta can count himself lucky to have had an hour on the pitch. I still maintain the last certainly the last half an hour of that time on the pitch uh was punishment rather than actually thinking he was going to do anything. Um because he had a really poor game. Um awful touch, gave the ball away, horrendous amount, didn't threaten anybody, ran around like a headless chicken and I and I usually have I usually try to back him as much as I can, but not a good display. Ragsaki came on, Edward got to go central, and you know J- Jezrin really did do everything he could possibly do in a in a situation where the game was gone and the players around him weren't playing very well. He got on the ball, he made runs, he took risks. Um, sometimes he gave the ball away a bit easy, but he kept going. Got a shot away, got a shot on target. I think a couple of nice little passes, but he just put some energy and pace into things. And I thought he had, you know, a really good, positive uh, half hour on the pitch. And, and I enjoyed watching him play. Um, I definitely think that's the most confident he's looked as well coming on. And I think if we go back to that, that first, um, uh, was it Man United in the cup that he started? And obviously had like a really hard time. It's such a good progression from that point onwards to come on and look as confident as he did. And he just looks kind of more and more fearless each time. Like he's got nothing to lose. I think that first performance for Man United, he played like he had a lot to lose. And then once that was out of the way, ever since he's kind of looked more and more, um, fearless. And I think that is a real positive to take forward. Um, as we go on through the season, but also just for him personally, it looks like he is, I guess that's always the test, isn't it? Of people stepping up from the level that he was playing at on loan um, for Charlton and to kind of go further than that is, can you then deal with that pressure? Um, and it looks like he is, which is really good. Uh, and obviously would be really good anyway, but we all love him. So um, we all, we all like to see it when they continue. I think the, the one thing to say on that, and it's it's pretty much what you know. Hodgson was asked about what he thought of the substitutes, and he said, "Well, it isn't pressure, is it? Because the game was already lost." Um, and I, all I'm advising those individuals that came on is to not bother reading the papers because uh, you're going to give them credit, um, and nothing came of it. That you know, they they they've been thrown into sort of gladiatorial combat without any without anything they can possibly do to make things better. So I think he gave everyone, it sounded like he gave everyone the opportunity to take long shots in the second half because, you know, and it showed that there was a lot of long shots, including from Raksaki. Um, but I think that that's exactly the kind of situation where he would get some confidence. It's just weird that Hodgson seems to think that it's kind of more a free hit and it suggests that he didn't take anything positive from that particularly. And he's not going to give him more, he's not taking more confidence in Raksaki because of what he did, which is a little bit disappointing. 
Yeah, it's disappointing. And he does say some odd things, doesn't he, around the introduction of young players. Uh, you know, he, he gets very, well, salty, let's face it, um, when he starts getting asked about like substitutes in general for some reason. You know, players that aren't starting the game, he almost takes it as an insult if people start talking about them, should they play, or how do you think they did when they came on. And, you know, we've seen him bat away suggestions of... Um, players deserving opportunities in the past you know the the infamous uh one for um brandon pierrick of he should have should have bought him a bottle of wine for playing him against liverpool that one you know i'm not saying i mean clearly brandon pierrick's not gone on to play premier league football um but you know it's it's i wonder what the players think when they hear when they read that and they hear that stuff it, it does concern me a little bit I do think as well, Roy chats a lot of shit in press conferences yeah. and in interviews. I'm just going to put that out there. So I think there is some some aspect of um, not really paying too much attention to what he says, especially post-match interviews, because we all know how reluctant he can be to put subs on, regardless of how bad people are playing. And I just think like it, the fact that he did decide to do that sub and he brought Rakitaki on, with the amount of time to go that there was does show that he is trusting him and he is impressed with him. And I, and I take the point about the fact that there was nothing to lose because the game was already gone, but like we haven't seen that from Roy previously just to shove people on and go like, Oh, well give him a chance. Like it's the, it's the absolute opposite that we see with him. So I think with Raksaki now, it's at a point where I think we can just judge the actions a little bit more than necessarily what Roy's saying, saying about it. Um, and that for me, the more he keeps bringing him on, I, I get the Mateo shit as well. So that obviously helps. But um, again, we see Jeffrey Schlott playing every week and he doesn't stop him off. So, you know, I think I think we can look at that as a positive. So I keep thinking about what Andrews Townsend said the other week, um, that, he, you know, he basically in he basically said there's, n- there's no manager that he could think of that it's harder to gain their trust than Roy Hodgson. And I genuinely think that the reasons he brought players on was we've got so few players. He just wanted to get them off and get a few on on a game we'd already lost. Um, and his comments suggest to me that they haven't won him over in the slightest by playing all right in a half when Newcastle subbed off four players at once as well. Um, that's the downside to this. I might be wrong, but... No, I think, and I think you're right to to think that way. I think both, you know, you make, both make really good points to to that uh, contention. I just think I'm trying to see it as a positive. I'm trying to I'm trying to think. You know, we just talked about Raksaki, and I, and he he said some good things about his performance in the Forest game, didn't he? Where he talked about the fact that he should feel more confident after that, and he did. So I'm I'm hoping with with Raksaki that he's at least gaining some of Roy's trust that he, you know, he is willing to throw him in there and develop him. Um, but, but, you know, he's, I, you know, he's always going to favor those, those senior players and giving opportunities to others, you know, and he talked about it pre-game as well before, even before the Newcastle game, he talked about the young players who are going to need to, and I think I'm trying to think of the phrase he used, but it's like knock someone off their perch. It's like, that's their role. It's not, you're going to come in, play really well in training it's gonna you're gonna come in and play really well in training but training doesn't mean anything you're not going to win your place in the team from training you're going to win your place in the team when an opportunity arises for some particular reason that you're that you get 
you get to play some minutes. I'm just a bit like, well, if you can't win your place in training, you're waiting for an injury or suspension, aren't you? Or somebody to just be so abjectly bad um, that that even Roy doesn't pick him. And you know, given how well, that's Schlupp that's hasn't yet to happen, season, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, I'm gonna say, like, honestly, think about the well, the season that Jeffrey Schlupp has had. He's been absolutely terrible in pretty much every game, and everyone knows it. And you know, and I don't want to be mean, but it's just true. He's been absolutely awful, but you know, he hasn't been dropped. You know, until being injured. So, and also think of how many injuries that we do get on a regular basis, and they always just come back as soon as they're fit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so, you know, so those opportunities do arise for them to to come forward in that potential system. But it, yeah. But look, we're happens. we're ruining my positive slant on things. So. Oh, we, yeah. we turned my positive into a, a negative again. So uh, I'm going to quickly jump and just say David Ozer only played a few minutes, but really nice to see him looking calm and assured on the pitch. Didn't do anything wrong. Like in in the few minutes he had, you know, really comfortable and confident on the ball. Um, you know, to me looks looks like he belongs there, um, but needs obviously extended time playing time before we'll we'll know. But really good prospect and again he wouldn't get on the pitch he wouldn't be on the bench if Roy didn't think something similar as well so we'll just leave it at that you know yes you know, and you think about the fact that you know Hamada was on the bench but didn't get on um, you know he could have come on for Lerma that would have been so for Ozo to come on I'm taking that as a positive I'm, I'm saying well done Roy well done coaching staff I liked that. Don't care that it was just a few minutes that's what it takes you know for a, for a teenager who's got a lot about him getting getting a few minutes in the Premier League, even in a dead game. That's great. Keep doing it. Love it. So let's talk about Matthias Franzer, right? Because we're going to get excited. And I don't want to. I, I, I don't want to get my hopes built up. I don't want to be one of those people who said, because the commentators on the totally legal stream I was watching um, got, kept calling him the boy from Brazil every four seconds like they were imaginative. But you know, yes, he's yes, he's Brazilian. That's great, thanks. But we paid a, a good amount of money for him, as Roy said. Doug uh, had scouted him a lot and watched him play for Flamengo a lot. And uh, <laughs> Doug, <laughs> good old Doug. Every, oh, Doug, every you, know, time. you know, you know, Doug Friedman. You remember the football player for Crystal Palace, Doug Friedman. Now the sporting director, Doug Friedman. It's Doug. I've been distracted. I've been distracted. <laughs> I've been distracted by Trippier all pod, and now we've got Doug. Oh, yeah. Tri- <laughs> I got Am I supposed to say Trippier? I think it's Trippier, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, I've decided he's French, so leave it. it. Leave it. But it's also, you, you definitely said Trippier at the beginning of the pod, and oh, then all I... of a sudden switched to Trippier, and I was like, whoa, this but is, and now we're at Doug. He, I'm just he, has, he has stuck with Doug, even when Doug has mm. come out and said, <laughs> fucking call me Dougie. That's yeah. what's beautiful about it. Yeah. So you can only assume they kind of have a grudging respect, but both of them <laughs> yeah. fucking hate each other. Yeah. What do you reckon? What do you reckon? Doug calls Roy. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. You saw those. You saw those soccer. You saw those soccer slammer um, like things that somebody had put up on Twitter, right? And um, they'd, they'd. I'm not sure how I felt about it, but they they'd called him either the owl or just Roy, um, which I I, I've, I, yeah. I was a little bit. Un- I wasn't too it's, sure about that. It's not really on, isn't it? Uh, uh, anyway, I have been distracted. Um, Matthias Ranser. Um, just, 
you can't you don't want to read too much into it right because you know again he's had he's had but he's had 20 22 23 minutes on the pitch um and frankly his movement technique touch dead, dead ball delivery absolutely outstanding you know given that he's not played a, a a match with the team before he's just been training and trying to get fit new to the you know new to the league new to the country that as as far as a you know the little cameo goes that was that was good i enjoyed that yeah, and I don't think we can read too much into it until we at least have one of Elise Oeza back because yeah. he's not going to be able to do this on his own. And if yeah. if if we don't see them back for another four or five games and he's fairly anonymous for a couple of them, I don't think that should be in any way his fault because there's really not much he can do on his own, I don't think. And if he does, amazing. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, I could. that's all I could think really, which was... I really hope that I get to see him, Elise and Eze in the same team. Um, it, it feels honestly unlikely, even if they're all fit, if I'm being brutal about things, because, you know, who, he's not going to be able to display, displace a fully fit Jeff Schlupp or, um, you know, Odson Edward. But, you know, it's, or, or Jean-Philippe Matata. But, you know, I, I, I just I think it would be uh, a fantastic thing to see to see that again that that kind of skill on the ball the kind of the touch the technique there was a little touch he did to just sort of round a like a first touch round a player that I just again I I probably have to you know find some full recording of the game to actually find it um to and actually show people what I mean but it was almost nothing it was almost imperceptible that what he did but it was just like knocking the ball around, like first touch around the side of a player, perfectly weighted uh, inside into the midfield, and they just moved straight away. It's you know there's there's enough in that twenty minutes to think we we have spent our money very very well there. Um, but he's got to get opportunities, and you know I feel like it's going to be one of those where we're going to be in this position where everyone starts clamor for, clamoring for him to play. He'll get thrown in to a game, probably against Man City or something like that, where the team will struggle and he won't get a kick. And then we'll get comments from our beloved manager saying, well, you know, that's why he doesn't play every week. You know, he's not quite ready yet for the rigors of the Premier League. Though, isn't it? Yeah. It's just going to be Spurs on Friday. Well, that's going to be the, yeah, possibly. Yeah, the yeah, possibly, and and then that'll be it, and we won't see him for for two months. And then you know, look, people will quite rightly point out that Roy managed um, Elise's introduction originally quite well. Um, did the same for Eze, uh, took him in and out the side really well, recognised his talent, built him up, and then actually rebuilt him after the confidence went under Vieira. So people will be quite rightly pointing out that for certain players. You know, absolutely, Roy has dealt with him very, very well. I just hope he does the same with Franca, and I hope he trusts that that he is, you know, as good as he appears to be. Um, look, I'm not. I don't think he's not going to be our savior, right? He's not going to be our new Wilf in terms of our talisman, even though he's wearing the eleven. You know, um, I, I don't think we're going to see that level of impact, but we can dream, right? That's what being a football fan's all about. It's 
you're getting excited about your new signings, getting excited about young players, thinking that they're going to be the next big thing and take you to that mythical next level, right? That's what we want. So there was enough there for me to be quite excited about about the future. And frankly, I, I hope he does start, you know, against Tottenham on Friday. I hope come Friday we, you know, we see some consequences to a couple of the players who didn't play very well. Um, but you also have to give players an opportunity to to make things right. I think, you know, professionally they will be hurting after that defeat because they got thumped, right? They got absolutely thumped. They got made to look like a, like a you know, bad championship side against Newcastle and that will hurt. So, you know, we want to give them an opportunity to react as well. But let's not start with... Uh, so I'll start with Edward on the left-hand side um, and leave Mitchell completely isolated against multiple players because anyone worth anything scouting Palace playing, I wouldn't have had to do it in the last game, to be honest, I could scout any of our games. But, you know, if you see what Newcastle did, we should expect exactly the same from Tottenham. Overlaps on the fullbacks, both sides, pin us back so we're ending up isolating our attack and just ask us to do something about it and we won't. <laughs> So that's uh, that's my preview. Uh, so you don't need to listen to Nick's preview podcast in the week. Um, anyway, I think I've said enough. Uh, any last minute uh, additions before we uh, before we go? No, let's get out of it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Brandon Pierre, I have one football. actually. On. Sorry, I have one, yeah. and it, I just remembered that my friend from work, who is a Palace fan who lives in the northeast, his band got booked to play the uh like one of the director's box or something so i was begging him to wear a palace shirt to do it um and he didn't but just sympathy is to him for having to play that gig and then see that we lost four nil so everyone send their love to john and hopefully he's okay i'll find out tomorrow yeah sorry john (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and i was just going to say that brandon pierrick plays for afc croydon athletic uh, now, so that's isn't that that's that's Wilf's team, right? Is it? Mm. It is, yeah. There you go. Anyway, um, thanks everyone. Uh, I did I did have a bunch of comments that people sent that I was going to read out, but we've gone on way too long, and I don't know why. And I apologise unreservedly for our conduct. Um, hopefully, Mikey will chop most of it out and um, and leave you with five or ten minutes to endure. So um, thank you, obviously, to uh, to to Mike and Cara, um, to Mikey as well for producing this whenever he gets the opportunity, uh, and thank you to you for listening to the show. Um, uh, the preview team, as mentioned, will be around in midweek, looking ahead to the uh, to the Spurs game on Friday night, which is uh, going to be a tough one. Um, apparently, they've got to bounce back from that, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, for other content, please head over to our YouTube channel where DR and the rest of the gang will bring you previews, player ratings, match reaction, that kind of stuff. Um, I didn't watch the match reaction match reaction after the Newcastle game, but I imagine it was probably quite fun. And uh, so if you've got time before the Spurs game, give that a watch and just see a very, very unhappy DR, which is always a treat. So until next time, thanks again and come on you fellas. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. 
Your mate's already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.